0: Our scripture this morning comes from John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. Let us listen now for the word of the Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Blessed are those who have, seen, who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Poor Thomas. You know, I'd I really feel bad for the guy. History has not been kind to his memory. I, I really cannot remember the last time I heard him reference without that shameful qualifier reminding us of his doubts. That famous line that he said has left this indelible stain on his reputation ever since. Unless I see the mark in his, of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. Now we only know him as Doubting Thomas. Have you ever heard him referred to as, as anything else? I mean, but, but I can't really say that I blame Thomas for what he said and thought and felt in that moment. He was on the outside looking in this amazing experience that the other disciples had that he was left out of. And it's, it's a lonely place to be. I think it's one that we can all relate to on some level. It began on Easter evening. Peter and the beloved disciple had gone to the empty tomb. They had 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 this experience, but they still didn't quite understand what it meant completely because they didn't see Jesus there. And then Mary came back. She rushed back and told them all what she had seen, that she had seen the Lord, that he was risen. But even after all that, after the joy of Easter morning, the recognition that Jesus was alive, that he was not dead, the disciples are still hiding in fear, hiding behind locked doors. Even in the light of the resurrection, they are still afraid. But in the midst of their fear, and perhaps even because of their fear, and their continued cowardice, the resurrected Christ himself comes to them stands among them and says, Peace be with you. And then he shows them his hands and his side. And he says to them again, Peace be with you. And they rejoice. They are overcome with joy. Mary was right. She was telling the truth. He really had been raised from the dead. And then they realize that peace is indeed but they are surrounded by peace. But there's only one problem with this whole lovely scenario. While peace is indeed with them, Thomas isn't. We're not told where Thomas was at this time or what he was doing. We just know that he wasn't there. I mean, who knows what he could have been up to. He, for all we know, he was out dancing in the streets, you know, celebrating that, that the Lord was risen, right? Maybe he was the only one who really got it and embraced it. We don't know. It's not likely, but it's possible. But when Thomas returned from whatever it was he was doing, he could tell that something was different in this room, that there was a different feeling in this place. Something else had captured the disciples' imagination. The fear that had once consumed them seemed to have been completely lifted. Suddenly, hope had invaded the room, and joy swept over them. When Thomas returns, they tell tell him about what they saw, describing in elaborate detail Even the wounds that were still present on his resurrected body. Wounds they could see and touch. His body that had been broken was now somehow restored, yet still carrying the marks of this violent death that he suffered. And Thomas, hearing all this, I mean, you can imagine, right? Completely stunned. Dumbfounded by this. How could he have missed it? How could he have missed this opportunity? And would Jesus be back? Would, did, did, would he get another chance? Did he miss his one and only shot at seeing the resurrected Christ? And I'm sure you can relate that we all say things in the heat of the moment, overcome by emotion, things that we immediately regret, right? Show of hands, I think all of us. And this is probably one of those things that Thomas wishes he could have back. But at the same time, his, his desire to see and to touch the wounds of Christ is not a desire for anything more than the others had already received. Right? He's not looking for more here. He's not looking for special treatment. He wants what the others got. Nothing more, nothing less. And a whole week passes. A whole week of the other ten disciples telling everyone, everyone they could meet over and over and over again that they had seen the Lord. A whole week of telling the story and hearing the joy in their voices. A whole week of people asking Thomas what it was like. What was it like, Thomas, when you saw the Lord? And him having to admit and confess that he had missed the entire thing. That Although he was one of the original twelve. I swear, I'm one of the, I'm one of the twelve. But I wasn't quite fortunate enough to have this experience. I mean, that must have been the longest week of Thomas's life. Hearing that story over and over, and over, and constantly feeling left out of it. Now, we don't really know a whole lot about Thomas. He's not, uh, he doesn't figure prominently in any of the Gospels. Other than being named as one of the 12, he really only shows up two other times, and, and both in John's Gospel. One of the times we learn a little bit more about Thomas is during the Last Supper. Uh, in John's Gospel, at the Last Supper, Jesus gives this really long speech, kind of preparing the disciples for what life will be like once he is gone. so he washes their feet, and then he gives them this long speech uh, of preparation. He says to them, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. And you know the place where I am going. But Thomas is confused, and he wants to make sure that he's got this right. So he interrupts Jesus and says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? To which Jesus responds with that famous line from John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father Except through me. So Thomas appears to have been the inquisitive type, right? He expresses this desire to be where Jesus is, to dwell with Jesus, to abide with Jesus. Right? Jesus says to them, You know, I'm going away, and you know the place where I'm going. And only Thomas has the courage to speak up and say what is definitely on everyone else's minds Uh, No, we don't, right? We're going to need a little bit more information here, Jesus. So the image of Thomas that perhaps we get is of someone who is trying his best to be faithful, but, like all of us, struggles from time to time, struggles to fully grasp what that call on his life means for him. Just try to imagine what that week must have been like for Thomas, that long and lonely week, the sting of exclusion, wondering if he had missed his one and only chance to see the risen Lord. All he wants is what the other disciples got to experience. But instead, he's left to fester in isolation for a week. And interestingly, when Jesus does finally appear to him, it's a remarkably similar experience to what happened the week before. One week later, the disciples are right back in that very same room, in that same house. This time, the doors are shut, but importantly, they're not locked. And once again, Jesus stands among them and says, Peace be with you. But this time he immediately turns to Thomas and offers him exactly what he desired, exactly what he gave to the other disciples a week before, the ability to see and to touch his wounds. And Jesus says to him, Do not doubt, but believe. But doubt isn't quite the right word here. It's, and I think it's partially due to this unfortunate translation uh, of what Jesus says that, that Thomas has been so maligned throughout Christian history. I think a better translation would be something like, don't be unfaithful, but faithful, or don't be unbelieving, but believing. And in John's gospel in particular, in, in the New Testament generally, words like faith and belief are used much differently, I think, than we are accustomed to. Belief, especially in John's gospel, is very much a relational term. It has to do with remaining in relationship and abiding with Christ. Not so much this idea that we have of belief means to accept certain kind of theological principles, right? It's it's relational. It's about the relationship. So when Jesus gives this command, do not doubt but believe, or do not be unfaithful but faithful, perhaps we should hear Jesus reminding Thomas of his original calling as a disciple. Be faithful to your calling, Thomas. Remember, you remember when I told you that I was preparing a place for you? Do you remember that, Thomas? Abide in me. Keep it up. Be faithful to your calling. You wanted to know the way. This is it. I am it. Be faithful. And Thomas responds with what is perhaps the most Profound revelation and confession of who Christ is in all of the Gospels. Thomas says, My Lord and my God. Few, if any, ever recognize so fully Christ's divinity and go so far as to explicitly refer to him as God. It's a bit ironic, isn't it, that the man we call Doubting Thomas is the only one who makes such a profound statement Revealing the true nature of the Christ we worship. And Thomas surely also has to receive some credit for for coming back, right? For remaining faithful to his calling as a disciple. Even in the midst of his hurt, his confusion, his struggling to be faithful, he comes back to that place where where the other disciples were. Where they had met the risen Christ. The place where he was left out. The place of his exclusion. Though he struggles to be faithful, he does come back. Perhaps hoping against hope that Christ will show up again. Though he might be able, that he might be able to see and to touch his Lord and his God. Now you may have heard the expression seeing is believing, right? And for Thomas and for the rest of us, there's some real truth to that. It's how we're wired in some way. But I think John wants to flip that a bit. He wants to reverse it. I think what he wants us to see or to understand instead is that believing is seeing. Jesus tells Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And then John wraps the whole thing up, this whole story up, by telling us exactly why he wrote the gospel in the first place. He says, these things are written. So that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. So no matter where we are in our life or in our faith, we, like Thomas, like everyone else, are always in a place of coming to believe. Faith is not a destination. It's a journey. It's a process. We are all, like Thomas, doing our best to be faithful. Struggling to hold on to the promises that Christ left for us. Struggling to live into that calling that God has given us. It turns out that Thomas isn't so different from us after all. So may we, like Thomas, continue to come to believe. May we come to believe so that we too may see. Don't be unfaithful but faithful.